0: Hey, Dad. What? What do you call a frog that's illegally parked? I don't know what. Toad. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Engage, a family gaming podcast. This is episode 144. And I'm your host, Stephen Dutzman. As always, this is the official video game and board game podcast for EngagedFamilyGaming.com. EFG is a website where parents like myself and my co-hosts come together to get parents and families the information they need to get their family game on. This week is another special week. Um, you'll notice last week we talked about board games. Specifically, we talked about all the games that I played at the Connecticut Festival of Independent Games. But we're doing board games two weeks in a row. So the video game folks... You'll be patient. We'll get there. But I have a special guest, Mr. Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson Games. How are you, sir? I'm hanging in
1: there. It's warm in Texas, but we'll get by. Yeah, I mean, is it isn't it always warm in Texas? I have never been there. It we get snow maybe one year in 3, but the winters are plenty cold enough for me. Oh, all right. I I am much better in warm weather than cold weather, so I live here where it's much likelier to be warm than cold. So I can't complain, but I do.
0: The math checks out on that. So, you know, you you live where you want. My, My dad... Um, I don't talk about him too much on the show, just because, you know, whatever, but he, um, loves Texas. And if you saw a picture of him, you would know, but he looks like a guy who loves Texas, but is not from Texas. So he like walks around in like the cowboy boots and the, and the hat and, and all that. And he lives in Connecticut. Um, so he looks a little out of place. Um, he, uh, yeah, he, I think his plan is to try and winter there because he does not like the cold. Um, And I can't really blame him. I'm going to follow him just because I hear the food's all right. Get barbecued. Yeah, but I mean, that that's uh, thats what I read about. So, before we get too much farther, I do want to take a moment to thank our listeners um, for listening this week. We hope the games you've been playing have been great. I know Steve and I have some exciting stuff to talk about. Uh, we do want to make our podcast more interactive, so please feel free to reach out on social media or message us on our Facebook page um, with any comments, questions, topic suggestions, etc. cetera. Um, as many of you already know, we do alternate topics between video games and board games, but... I go where the business takes us, and this time we have a really cool Kickstarter uh, from Steve Jackson Games called The Fantasy Trip, um, and uh, I wanted to get Steve on here so we could talk about it for two reasons. One, I wanted to talk to you, and have wanted to for quite some time, just about the your the games that you make in general, but also, because this is a really cool project, um, because this is one of the first tabletop role-playing games that you made. You lost the rights to it, and now you got them back. Tell me, what's this process been like?
1: Oh, which process? The, well, I mean... The getting the rights back? Well, the, the getting the rights the back game?
0: probably can't talk too much about that. But I am you know, I would like to hear kind of... Let's start in the beginning, um, I guess, is the best place. So the fantasy trip, I did my homework on this. So this is, um, you know, late 70s. Right. if I'm remembering this correctly,
1: 77, 77,
0: right. um, and which is why I missed it. Um, and so this is one of like that early generation. I read somewhere that you felt that, 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 you know, once the game kind of got built, um, you really thought that it was a good idea to kind of spin it up and make it a little bit uh, bigger because you thought that it could actually compete with Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Yeah, we started off with Melee, which is just the little combat game. Sure. And that was originally created because, as a D&D player, I wanted more detail in my combat. Sure. And there weren't any modules for that, so I wrote my own. Sure. And it was popular, so we did a, a sequel, kind of the flip side of the coin, called Wizard, which was the magic combat game. And feedback was still good, so I started writing regular role-playing rules. Fair enough. Um,
0: so how? So you? So you were Dungeons and Dragons player, as was you know most everybody kind of in our corner of the hobby at that time, right? Because I mean it was kind of blowing up towards the late seventies and early eighties. Um, the tell me what what. Because this is something that's a complete blind spot for me. What was combat in dun, in the like the original Dungeons and Dragons like, and what what was missing that you wanted to kind of improve on?
1: Position was missing. Um, if you're in a room with four party members and three orcs, there wasn't really any way to tell where you were. It was huh. just uh, you just kind of did okay. stuff. I I strike at the orc and the dungeon master would either allow it or not. And usually he'd allow it because that was what we were there for was to strike at orcs. Sure.
0: So you create, so essentially melee and I'm looking at the videos and anyone that is listening, uh, don't, if you're driving, but when you get a moment, head on over to Kickstarter and look up the fantasy trip. That's the name of the game we're talking about. Um, and you'll see, so this is, this used a hex based movement system. So you had, you know, chits on the board, Moving guys around, so this this g- kind of gave you that sense of tactics. And exactly.
1: Like okay. It's it's a a very tactical game. It moves quickly, but uh, it really matters where you are, and you don't want to let somebody get behind you. Absolutely. You know what's interesting?
0: You know people who play like Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons or even Third Edition Dungeons and Dragons, like they they take and myself for example or you take that miniatures and like movement system out and, and it's almost like you take it for granted right like the the fact that there yeah. were you know games back in the early parts of history that didn't have that piece the um state
1: of the art has improved a lot
0: Yeah well I mean well we they stand on the shoulders of giants as they say so um as one of those I mean it's super neat to look at some of the art and you know some of the um, some of the work that was done. I have not played it, but I can't wait to. Um, how so? We all know that people lose the rights to things. Cause that's just how board games worked back in the day. Um, what made you want to go get the rights back? That's a hard question. Why would I not want to get the rights back? Well, I mean, I mean. S- That's a... You're right. I mean, sometimes you you pitch easy questions, you know? Um,
1: (laughs) The game game had been out of print for decades because the publisher went out of business. Okay. And I really wanted to see it out there again. Okay.
0: That's a more than reasonable answer. Um, And so, now that you got it back, and it's on Kickstarter, and obviously, you know, we talked about this before we hit the record button, this is obviously... Uh, not going to be a problem for funding. You know, we're three days into the project and you're already, what, six times plus your original funding goal, which is awesome. So, I mean, basically it's a pre-order at this point. Um, You know, how exciting has that been to kind of see the process from, you know, getting the rights back to kind of building the new product and getting it out there?
1: Oh, it's been an awesome experience. And, of course, it's been very intense since the Kickstarter started, sure. because now I'm getting this fire hose of good feedback about what people want to see in the game. Sure. Like, what kind of anything cool that you can share? Well, they wanted uh, they wanted the map to be bigger. Okay. And at first we said no, but uh, our C EO, Phil figured out that, yeah, we could do that. Okay. People were asking for a hardback version of, of the game book. We're going to do that. Okay. Um, I think those are the big places there where we've already varied from our plan. But we have run a Kickstarter before that got absolutely out of control, and we're determined not to let that happen to this one. Okay. So
0: what do you you mean by a Kickstarter that got out of control?
1: Uh, The first Kickstarter we ever did was for my game Ogre, Mm -hmm, which is is a a war game about a giant tank. And it came close to a million dollars. There was so much enthusiasm and so many good ideas that we overpromised. And we still have two promises left to deliver on that one, uh, we're not uh, we're not far from both of them, but I'm not going to let us get set up again. And Phil is certainly not going to let us set up for anything that takes that long to fulfill. Sometimes you just have to say no rather than sure we can do that. Sure, that because, makes sense. Yeah, we can do that, but it takes too long.
0: Yeah, sure, and, and also. I think at this point, people are, you know, at at this point, especially with the fantasy trip, you're not necessarily making a single boxed product. I mean, you're really not necessarily limited to the initial retail release of Melee and Wizard. You could, you know, expand on it. People are kind of used to that, you know, games as like a platform.
1: I'm hoping that this is just the beginning of of a role-playing line. Sure. We'll just have to see how success holds up. Well, uh, I have my hopes. Sure. Well, Steve Jackson
0: Games is not
1: necessarily
0: a stranger to making a product and expanding on it ad infinitum. I mean, you guys do have munchkin. (laughs) We certainly do. Um, which leads me to, um, you know, one of the first fan questions that I have, because I did reach out to some members of my community and tell them, um, with great excitement that I was going to be talking to you. Um, and, you know, ask them to, you know, shoot me some questions. Um, and one of them is actually about Munchkin. And I I know this is kind of like off the, the beaten path, but they did want me to ask, um, with, with that game being so infinitely expandable, because, like, they just – people keep making IP, and and you keep kind of moving into different territories. We're speaking specifically about Magic School, which just came out, which everybody in, that I am around loves, by the way. Um, do you feel like that's a, a well that will ever run dry?
1: Ten years ago, I was worried that we might run out of munchkin subjects. Now I'm not worried anymore.
0: You think? All right. I, I, you know what, I think that's a good answer, and I, an answer I certainly agree with. The more I thought about it, because they asked me that question, I was like, man, this seems kind of silly, you know, of course we're, gonna... and now it's like, no, because people are just going to keep coming up with stuff, and then we can, it's kind of like, Weird Al's never going to run out of songs to parody, because people just keep making new music. That's right. So, I mean, you just follow that angle. I mean, and, and by the way, again, I can't repeat it enough. Magic School is really cool. <laughs> um, a, a nice little um, project to, to parody. So anyway, that was, uh, that was one of our fan questions. I didn't want to for, uh, forget that. So let's talk a little bit more about the fantasy trip. Why is it called the fantasy trip?
1: I can't remember. How's that for a straight
0: answer? That's a, that's a, hey, listen, I love it when you sh- you're, you're a Texas guy shooting straight with me. Um, it, it certainly is going to hold itself, um, and it's gonna, it, I'm sure everybody's going to have their own stories on why it's called that way. Now, this isn't the only role-playing game that you guys as a company have, because you also have GURPS.
1: Which that's is... right. So tell me... I, I, can tell you, I can tell you how we got the name GURPS, and it's even a worse story than I don't remember. All right. I'm super excited
0: to hear a story because first of all, I don't think I i, I want to be clear. I don't think I don't remember is a bad story. Um, it's just, you know, because it, it was a long time ago and you've done a few things since then. So tell me it's, about it. It's GURPS. just
1: kind of a short story, but sure. The GURPS name. Well, for a long time, we just had no title for it at all. And, uh, we, published a playtest version of it with Great Unnamed Role-Playing System on the cover, which of course spells out to G-U-R-P-S. And everybody who saw it just referred to it as GURPS, and we finally backronymed it and decided what GURPS could stand for, which was Generic Universal Role-Playing System. But it really stood for the Great Unnamed Role-Playing System, because all the good names were taken. I think that's not really to good... mention some of the bad ones
0: <laughs> yes uh, oh man yes um, so and this is and so when you say like the great you know the the, the generic you know like universal I mean really it is um, you know I, I have played it a handful of times wildly different groups of people wildly different settings you really created that rule setup up um, as a as really to be universal it's like a plug and play rule system hey you want to make this thing that does this stuff you can use GURPS or some version of it, and, and accomplish what you need, right?
1: That's the plan.
0: Which is super neat. Um, you know, it's very elegant, and that's one of the things that I always thought, you know, reading about GURPS, or, you know, encountering some of the books, you know, being at conventions, the fact that if you know, in general, what you're doing, you can just kind of plop into any game, it doesn't matter if it's steampunk, or sword and sorcery, or zombies, or whatever, and you just kind of get in, and you You know, you just figure it out and it's not that hard to participate, which I really love. Um, So you have this established GURPS series that, you know, that that you have new products coming on pretty almost, I mean, not constantly, but pretty regularly. Um, What is, what's going
1: to set the fantasy trip apart from GURPS? You know, it's a, it's a much easier to get into game. It's okay. faster to learn, it's faster to play, it's much more of an introductory system. Oh, okay. If you want detail, and if you want uh, the ability to take it into any sort of background, you're going to go for burps, and that's sure. fine. But if you want the classic fantasy tropes, and if you want something, especially if you're teaching new people, sure, then fantasy trip is a great place to start with. And some people find that that's a great place to stay, too. Sure.
0: Great. And I'm sure, you know, assuming this is successful, which, let's knock on wood, um, we hope it is, and it looks like it's doing okay. This is one of those things that you could kind of maybe even kind of bolt on more complicated stuff as time goes on um, if people really do kind of want to hang out.
1: We could, but I don't really want to make it more complicated. I want to point them at GURPS if they want it more complicated. And and try to go broad rather than deep on the support for the fantasy trip. I like that.
0: I like that. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, considering I mean, you heard the line at the front of the podcast, you know, we are all about families playing games together. Um, And there is a special place in our heart for kind of introductory games um, for game systems that encourage, you know, that whole broad as opposed to deep um, concept, you know, let's get everybody in here. Let's lower the barriers for entry. I'm a hundred percent in on that. So that makes sense. I mean, and, and I guess it makes sense from a business perspective too, because if you can, if you took the fantasy trip and just made it more complex, then to a degree, you'd be eating your own lunch. And why would you want to do that? No, that makes total sense. Total sense. So, um, why are, so, you you there was a business need back in the day why Melee and Wizard were two separate products back in the early in the late seventies and that's because you made Melee first and then Wizard was kind of an expansion. Is there a reason specifically why you wanted to keep them separate now as opposed to you know just putting them in one box? Because technically, you oh can I buy guess them there separately. might
1: there might be about three reasons for that. And we did talk about combining them and just calling it Melee slash Wizard. Which sure. everybody would have recognized, and there you go. But it gets back to the learning thing. Uh, it was just more, more of a, more of a quick start pa- package. If you're either just going for the the tactical hand weapons combat, or if you're just going for the magic, okay. the rule sets are basically the same. Okay. Uh, if if you crammed them together you could save some treats, but then the whole thing would be that much longer. Sure. Okay.
0: now that makes sense. So the the Kickstarter itself offers, since we're you know talking about what the product is, the Kickstarter, you know, one of the so there's a pledge where it's, you know, melee and wizard, you know, it's thirty bucks and you get looks like both of the base games. Uh, but it looks like the um, it looks like all, the legacy edition is the next step up. And that includes, it looks like that package is still evolving kind of depending on how things yeah. go. Right.
1: Yeah. The legacy edition is a much better deal in terms of bang for your buck. Sure. Okay. Cause that's 60 we bucks. Are still at, we're still, we're Still adding to
0: that one. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it looks like goals. that's the one that's going to be it, – like it said, it's, it actually says it in the campaign that that one's still kind of evolving. Um, like you didn't – the video wasn't super detailed as far as what's going to be in the box because we don't know yet. <laughs> um, but we at the very least – it's going to make it's gonna... a
1: supplementary video or something. Sure. I'm sorry. I talked over you. What did you say? No,
0: I was just going to say just for sake of information, and I want everybody to go to the Kickstarter campaign Anyway, uh, but for sake of information, the way that it works is the Legacy Edition comes in a nice, uh, comes on a nice box, um, which I do love the cover art for, by the way. Uh, it includes both melee and wizards um, in their boxes. And then it comes with, it looks like two, um, are they adventures? The In the Labyrinth and Tolan Lair?
1: Tolan Lair is an adventure. Okay. In the Labyrinth is the Book of role playing Rules. Oh, oh th- you know what? That's right. That's right. Um and so and then now it's going to include two solo adventures as well. Oh, awesome! Death test and death tests too. Okay, which which are purely hack and slash. Okay, and they're solo
0: adventures, so they're one that I would sit down and just kind of like a game book. Just I would play it myself.
1: Yes, although you can also take a grip through it and act as the referee. Oh, that's awesome! You read, you read the book and you tell them what they see. Okay.
0: That's super rad, and you know what? I can absolutely imagine. Um, you know, there are some game groups that that's just all they want. You know, like I, you know, let's let's strip out the roleplay stuff. Let's just let's just fight with no pretense. Um, I know plenty of game groups that are into that, um, and so that would be that uh, my kids actually they run a uh, my wife used to run a home daycare and the the older kids would you know they would love to find these dudes on a map games and play and just kind of create scenarios feels like that's a, a a thing that they would definitely enjoy um so <coughs> excuse me i don't mean to cough at you um I'm probably
1: not going to get anything over skype
0: probably not i read i i read somewhere that it's not likely to transfer, but I still like to apologize because I feel bad. Um, so
1: fair
0: enough. So I was listening. So part of the uh, Kickstarter videos, you were uh, inter- uh, you were you got interviewed by Bebo, who is lovely. She's awesome. Um, I love her new site. Um, and you talked, and you actually worked with. Uh, you got the, one of the original artists from the game to come back.
1: Yes, Elizabeth Danforth, Liz Danforth. Which is... is best known as a magic artist, but back in the day, she did the first cover for the first edition of Melee. She did all the counters for Melee. Yep. And uh, I convinced her to, to come back and do more Melee illustrations and to do all the counters.
0: That's awesome. That must have been a great kind of experience just for you, working with her back then and now working with her again yes um, and it, it gives a great feeling of continuity absolutely which I think as bringing back a legacy product like this um, it's and I think that's probably an appropriate term for it like bringing back something cool um I think it it probably wouldn't to, even to me, having never really experienced the first one, it still would have felt a little odd if you had had to find somebody else. And I mean, you would have if you had to. I mean, you can't put it out without art. But I think there is something special about bringing back the original people who put it together and kind of putting it together again. Um, and I mean, it's great that she found time. I mean, she, you're, as you said, she makes magic cards, uh, magic card art, and I'm sure that they keep her busy because, man, do they not stop making cards.
1: <laughs> we, we also have another member of the old team on the project. Uh, we do. Guy McLemore, who was the line editor at Metagaming after I left, has, has come on board as line editor for the fantasy trip with us. Awesome.
0: That's I mean that must be great. I mean it must be a fun time for the three of you to just kind of reminisce over the the first experience and then kind of experience rebuilding it with the like the newest tools. I mean I'm sure, you know, being able to communicate via Skype and and email each other proofs and drafts and throw things into Dropbox is a little bit different than it was back in the 70s.
1: No kidding. <laughs>
0: Um Everything has changed, yeah, and everything's going to change next week. It feels like uh it feels like the 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 you know especially in the board game space, you know the the intersection between board games and technology is impacting like every part of their development, and I'm sure that that's you know something that you certainly feel since i mean you 've been making games for a very long time um it, it, you've it, it's got to be crazy seeing some of the stuff that people are proposing now.
1: And not just proposing, but pulling off.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I've been running Engage Family Gaming for five years, which is, you know, a a sneeze worth of time compared to some of the time that, like, Fantasy Trip and things like that have been, like, out, right? And even I have started to see, you know, you know, just advances and, you know, just Kickstarter in and of itself is a, a revolution in the way that games are made. Yes, it is. Um, and it's, I mean, it's been a neat experience because I I actually really, outside of playing some Dungeons and Dragons, which, you know, every nerd kid did growing up in the eighties and nineties, um, outside of that, I really never got into kind of like the boutique role playing games. Um, the first one that I got was actually a copy of Munchkin that someone gave me, um, And which is one of the reasons why I was excited to get an opportunity to talk to you when um, when your PR guy was, you know, asking around, Um, because, you know, that was one of my gateways into this world. All right. And, um, you know, which it certainly worked. Right. You know, I learned a lot about myself as a gamer by playing that game. You know, um, I think a lot of people learn a lot about themselves as gamers when they play uh, Munchkin, just because it really uh, kind of forces you to really figure out how you're gonna overcome other people. Um, but to just to to co- go from you know playing you know a card game with levels and you know all that stuff into you know some of the bananas things that get published every day, it's it's a it's a it's a wild world we live in, huh? It is. So. Let's talk a little bit more and I, I know I've been bouncing around a little bit but um you know my listeners are used to it I'm crazy so the <laughs> the, the the game pieces so they used to be so it, I'm presuming in the in the, the original edition they were the cardboard chits right Correct okay and so we're going to stick with that with the new edition Yes okay has have, it have
1: how much... We are doing we're doing large size hexes beco- by popular request because a lot of people want to play with miniatures as their counters and that's fine that was something envisioned even at the beginning. Okay, but uh, that was going to be my question. I was wondering how many people
0: have commented on the Kickstarter um, asking for you to make miniatures for them.
1: A lot of people have asked for miniatures and I'm not saying we'll never do miniatures. But uh, that's not what this project is. Fair enough. So, Steve,
0: how often, or in the comments of your Kickstarter campaign, have uh, people been uh, beating you up about making miniatures for your game?
1: Oh, I'd say there have been at least a dozen or two comments uh, going, uh, "Oh, oh, we wish you would do miniatures," and I'd love to to do plastic figure miniatures someday. Though what I'd really love to do would be the big ones, 54 millimeter. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can get so much detail in a 54. Sure. I mean, those are
0: almost like action figures at that point. Um, But no, you're absolutely right. That would be really cool. Is that kind of why you moved up to the bigger hexes? Or was that just at people's request so they can bring their own stuff? People's request. Sure. Sure. I mean, it makes sense. I'm glad that you were able to accommodate it. That's got to be a great feeling to be running a campaign and to have, you know, the roadmap penciled in and have someone come in like with a, a request and being able to grant it without it being like a huge problem. That's got to be a great feeling to be able to just kind of alter the path and uh, make, make some people happy.
1: It makes me grateful for Phil Reed, who is managing the print buying on this and who's the one who tells me what we can get away with changing.
0: Hey, listen, you know, we, when we got people to help, we got people to help. Um, so the, so with the, with the miniatures, these are, these are punch board. They're not miniatures. These are punchboard chits that are going to be the different characters uh, That's on right. the map. Um, da, and I mean, I see, if you look at the campaign folks, you'll be able to see there's a, a nice zoomed in, you know, art of what they will look like. Um, how do you choose the art that gets on there? You know, obviously you have this, this, this well-renowned artist who's doing that. Like, how did you come about choosing the different characters? You know, I see like the knight with like a glaive and, you know, did, was, is this all returning art or did, did you come up with some new stuff?
1: In, in execution, it's all new because we had to do all new artwork. Uh, I did not get any rights back to the old artwork, so oh, okay. we had to, had to start from scratch on that. In concept, some of it is the same, and some of it's new. We just wanted a huge variety of figures that people could play to match you know, their weapons and, sure. and to match themselves, if that's what they wanted.
0: Okay, I dig that. As a LARPer, um, I super appreciate the amount of flexibility that I see in, you know, some of the, the, the figures just that the, be there, the miniatures that are out there or the art on some of these cards, being able to kind of match up to what you really envision, um, is hard. So it's cool that there's a lot of flexibility here and it's not just a dude with a shield and there's six copies of him in different colors. You know, I really dig that there's some variety there. Um, so, and obviously there's enemy variety too, um, because we've got, you know, the bigger, you know, you know trolls and you know ogres and things like that. Um, are, are should I expect that all of the the trope-y fantasy monsters are going to be there? The orcs, the ogres, the all that stuff. Or what do you think?
1: Um, the rule book has a pretty good selection awesome. of monsters. Not every monster is represented in the counter set because there are just too many monsters. True, because. People are insanely creative. <laughs> yes. And if we did have a counter for every single kind of monster, you could never find the one you wanted in the stack anyhow. True. So have to balance with reason a little bit. But one of the things that people are asking for is more counters, and it's possible that as a stretch goal, we'll do another counter sheet with sure. some of the bigger monsters.
0: Sure. I mean, I see um – there's the, there's a the i'm really interested in in the shape for the dragon piece which is um it's really i mean i don't want to say interesting too many times but i have never seen i've seen a lot of monsters that take up hexes right um and folks this is bad video because obviously this is an audio podcast go to again <laughs> the go to the Kickstarter page, but the dragon is really interestingly shaped, right? Like it's a straight line of hexes with, you know, like the legs in the, the, the front and back legs kind of sticking out. Um, is that how the design was back in the day or yes. is this a new thing?
1: No, that's how, how it was back in the day. All right. Cool. The seven I mean, hex dragon. He's a monster. And how did you... S- in the game, there's also a 14 hex dragon, and people are asking for a counter for that. How do you kill that thing?
0: I mean, I, I have fought my share of dragons across the various games that I have played, and usually the answer is not easily.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Um, I never met a dragon that was easy to beat up on, um, or safe to beat up on. But I mean, you know that you've been making you've been making games for a while. We're unlocking stretch goals on this campaign. Let's talk about the campaign and the meat and potatoes of it now, because I, um, we've talked about the game. Um, you know, it's a simplified role playing system. I I can't wait to get my hands on it. I will definitely do so at some point. Um, the um, and now we're it's certainly funded, and we are in the process of um, you know putting together some stretch goals and meeting some of that. All right, so um, I think we talked a lot about this super successful campaign so far. I'm excited to see where it goes, um, and we've still at the time of this recording, you've still got like 25 days to go. So here's hoping that the uh, the fantasy trip is a wildly successful Kickstarter. Um, But what I'd like to do, Steve, if I could, um, is I did get some questions from my community and also from my kids. um, And I was wondering if you might take a few moments to answer some of those questions. Absolutely. All right, so let's start with... Um, Carrie from our uh, engaged family gaming community, which you can join those of you listening by going to engage slash community. Um, she wanted to know where you get all of your fun ideas.
1: There's a post office box in Connecticut where no, no, <laughs> um, let's let's, let's not go there. Um, Really, it's just a matter of paying attention to popular culture and looking for something uh, something that's just screaming to be laughed with. Sure. Go- going from there. Sure. You know, it's
0: it's funny that you say that, the, uh, the laughing with it thing. Because obviously, you know, a lot of the games that you make, um, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them do have a sense of parody built into them, especially like Munchkin, which is ever popular. You've got the new collectible card game. Um, that's relatively new. Um, and so, um, you know, a lot of folks misunderstand parody, um, and assume that it is mockery. Um, and that you're taking stuff and like putting it down and, and only pointing out its flaws and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but parody is a form of respect, right? Like you're finding stuff that's cool and saying, Hey, that's neat. And this is this is my funny take on it.
1: Well, really, when I did the original Munchkin, I was writing about myself. It's uh it's a silly game about Dungeon Crawl. Sure. About the kind of role playing games I like to do. So now here let's have some fun with it. Let's let's take all of the tropes and just push push them until they break and then keep pushing. Sure. Absolutely.
0: Um, well, that's a, that is a, that's a great answer. And I, I agree. I mean, that's something that I noticed about, you know, when I started playing the original Munchkin and all the various games that I, you know, in that series that I have played since, is it really does take a good job of kind of isolating the real, you know, the tropes and, you know, the, 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 the bits that people take a little too seriously because at the end of the day, fandom is just people taking things too serious. Um, and you know, really, kind of making light of them in a, you know a, a fun way, but not a mean way.
1: Um, if if you're mean, you you're doing it wrong.
0: I agree, a hundred percent. You know, there's so much room for humor that isn't trolly or rude. I think that's something that it's that's if I could figure out one problem with like YouTube culture, right right now, you know, and watching some of the stuff that my kids watch is that a lot of the, the, the content creators on YouTube that, that are quote unquote, hilarious, um, have forgotten that it, you know, you, you can be funny without being crude or rude to people, um, or mean, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. You don't want to teach kids that it's all right to be mean.
0: Yeah. And you can be funny without it. I mean, that's the one thing, you know, we always watch it, and I come out of it being like, so why was that so funny? <laughs> I'm like Because he was just being a jerk. Because um, nobody thinks jerks are funny. Um, at least I don't. So, um, next question. This comes from uh, my uh, my oldest son. He wants to be a game designer when he gets older. Um. So, he... So his when question, he gets
1: old? I'm sorry? <laughs> okay. Well, that's right. He's... Have- Have a long productive life and then retire and be a game designer. That's a plan. All right. Well, I'll I'll,
0: I will tell him that. Um, But I think he's going to (laughs) want to jump the gun a little bit. So
1: he wants to do it sooner. Okay. Yeah.
0: You know. Well, you know these these kids these days. They don't like they don't have patience. Um. (laughs) You know all this internet instant gratification. So if you um and beyond that outside of just him in my audience, I'm sure there are aspiring game designers. Uh, Do you have any uh, advice for someone that is interested in making their first game?
1: Learn to communicate, learn to write clearly and briefly. um, Because if you can't communicate your ideas clearly and briefly, it really doesn't matter how clever a game you come up with, you'll never be able to get it across to people.
0: That is, and beyond that, that's great advice just for everything, but no, you're right. I've never even thought of it that way. Yeah. I mean, the, the ability to communicate clearly really touches every aspect of game design because you can't tell your artist what you need. If you can't explain it, you can't teach people how to play it. You can't write a rule book. Um, no, I think that's uh, that is sage wisdom um, that I think lots of folks could probably do to hear. Any anything else, or do, is that, or do
1: we want to settle at the home run? Well, that's that's the big one right there, and then then the nuts and bolts response to that is playtest your games a lot. Okay. Playtest them with different people. Because that way you'll find out where you might have failed to communicate. And you'll also find out which of your great ideas isn't quite as great as you thought it was at first.
0: Have you had any, you know, experiences in the past where you were just convinced that a game was a home run? And you brought it to some folks and it just, you had to watch it crumble before your very eyes? It
1: happens with astounding regularity.
0: You know that's what's interesting. You have to try
1: a whole lot of things and see what it is people like. Sure. You know what's
0: interesting that that you say that. I talked to a lot of game designers, and I think my, um, I think when I think back upon the number of people who I have interviewed, I think the one unifying thing between all of the great, um, you know, game, you know, game designers that I have spoken to is that all the really great ones. Um, talked uh, talked about, you know, having projects that they had to just throw out. Um, Whereas the folks that are like, this is my baby and I've been I've been crafting it for years. um, Sometimes that just doesn't cross the finish line. Maybe they should have just thrown it away and tried something else.
1: Or at least come at it from a different direction. Yeah, sure. If If you get too in love with your own work. You lose objectivity. Sure. And
0: that idea of coming at it from a different direction, you gave me that advice not 10 minutes ago. Nobody here here heard that. That ah. was that was some stuff some uh, production magic, but um that is also sound advice. Here's a here's another question. This is from my youngest son. Um he wants to know if we're going to get more expansions to Zombie Dice. Cuz he loves him some Zombie Dice. He takes it everywhere.
1: We have the two expansions to that now.
0: Yep. The school bus. I'm not and really the movies. planning
1: any others.
0: Not no. Alright, well I'll tell him. I'll break his heart, Steve.
1: School bus and the movies, yeah. If I come up with a great idea then, then everything changes and I'll go after it. But I don't have any any new concepts right now for that. And I don't want to go with anything that I don't think has a chance of being a home run.
0: That makes sense. I mean, it's already a pretty complete package now and the deluxe edition and like the hard cardboard or the hard plastic tube is just, it's so, I mean, we, uh, they just got back from boy scout camp. Um, and every year my, well, every year, the last two years, my youngest son has taken uh, zombie dice with him. And it, I mean, the fact it, It's so durable, it's so easy to just throw in his bag, and all we have to do is just make sure he counts 13 dice on the way home. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because the last thing we want is to have him brick a board game because he lost some cards or they got stomped in the mud. Um, He dumped all of the zombie dice into a mud puddle, and, and it came back fine. We just had to scrub it a little bit. So I will break his heart and tell him that there's not going to be any more expansions to Zombie Dice. Um, I'll do that for you, but if you come up with any good ideas, he would be he'd be grateful if you if you get those done. because yeah. um, it, it well because he he absolutely loves it. Um, so my oldest son wants to know what your favorite game that you have not made
1: is. Wow, that's that's a wide field because I like playing games. Let me answer a different question instead. That is perfectly that fine. Sidestepping is okay. To. I'm going I'm going to pretend that you asked me what I'm playing right now that I really really like. I'd love that. And that's a, a game called Century from Plan B, and it's an abstract game with beautiful art and it's a lot of fun. Which one? Which version
0: are you playing? Because I know they have like a bu- a couple of different ones. They have the Golem Edition, the Old Spice Road.
1: I've got the Golem Edition. And that one's that one's more obviously more fantasy oriented. I have not even seen the Spice Edition.
0: Yeah, I've seen it because I was it at
1: out to see what it looks like. I was at
0: Pax Unplugged and and there were some folks playing the Spice Road Edition, and it was, you know, I mean, it's beautiful art, but I would say. At the risk of sounding more you know, sounding super reductive, obviously it was more like Catan than say, you know, because you know you're building landscapes and you know stuff like that. I have never played it. Um how hard is it to learn? I mean obviously you have a lot of experience with games.
1: It is not hard to learn. Oh,
0: it's not. Okay.
1: No. The rules are on one sheet of cardboard. Oh, wow, and, really? And, uh, they're clearly explained. Oh, wow. And I mean, Like most games, it's easier to learn if you've got somebody who already knows it teaching you. Sure. But, uh, no, it's not hard to learn.
0: Wow. All right, well, we're going to have to take a look at that. Speaking of Plan B, have you played Azul, their uh, Spiel des Jahres winner? I have not. Us either. We're desperate to get our hands on it. Every time we, uh, every time we have space to go buy a game, because, you know, as you can imagine, reviewing board games... Our our dance card is full quite frequently, but every time we uh, have tried to, you know, get something to fill in a fill in a, a week or two, uh, it's been out of print.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, I guess that's a good sign for them. Yes, it's a good problem for them to have. Um, so the so the follow up question from my older son was he was wondering what uh what what your favorite what what your favorite game that you have made is.
1: Now, that's really hard to answer. That's like uh, if I were to ask you, which, which of your children is your favorite? I know, but he's 12. He doesn't know better. <laughs> that really is the answer. It just depends on what I'm feeling like playing that day.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, you have... Um... You've made a lot of games, so let's let's change the question a little bit. Um, well, let's just completely scrap it, because I, I, I can appreciate that you've made a lot of different games. So the, it's not like you really lack for choices among your own products. What's the creative process like for you? Because um, obviously you're professional. You you know this is what you do. Um, what you know? So you know, in a given period of time, you know, like, are you? Do you have like a, a specific time of you know, that you dedicate to making games or are you, you know, what, what's your
1: process like? It, well, as far as when, it just, it comes when it comes. And, you know, when, when the fit is on me, I will sit and work for a long period of time and then go try and find somebody to show it to. But the process always starts with a concept that I want to simulate in some way. And then from there it goes to game mechanics a lot okay. of designers work the other way around. They come up with a game mechanic that they like, and then they try and find a concept that will fit it. It's okay. like we were talking about Century. Uh, that game doesn't have anything to do with either jewels or golems. That's just the skin on it. Um, at, uh, at its heart, it's a game about building an economic engine. And that's one reason that I could probably never have designed Century in a million years Because uh, I wouldn't, I would never have reached a starting point that would let me go to that game. If you told me to design a game about jewels and golems, it would be much more representational. Sure, sure. Okay. So how
0: many, and this is a question that's kind of different for everybody that I ask, Um, How many kind of games do you have, game concepts do you have kicking around at any one time?
1: Well, if we count the ones that I can't bear to throw away, but I really don't know when I'll do anything about them, doesn't. If we mean how many am I actively working on at a given time, maybe two and a half. Okay. What's the half? Half. Something that I'm writing down notes for but not working on developing the notes. Okay. No that makes sense. Just I'm keeping a file keeping a file open for it and dropping in uh, dropping in more notes like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to do a munchkin set about monkeys? So I just thought of another monkey joke. Put it down.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So does that you know, constantly capturing so you're constantly capturing ideas, you know? At the very least, you have like the casual basket to catch things as they fall out. Does that ever lead you to like those moments of panic where you come up with a great idea, but you're not near anything to record it? Because that happens to me on a weekly basis.
1: <laughs> no, because I carry a phone with a recording capability, and I also carry a pocket notebook. Fair enough. So you're smarter than me.
0: I get it. That makes sense. I should probably figure that stuff out. I do have a phone with me at all times. Um, so... Those are the questions from my community and from my kids. Steve, I want to say um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, uh, promoting your Kickstarter uh, to talk to me. Um, You know, your games are some of the reasons why I do what I do. Um, So it's been, you know, an honor to have you on here. Um, Do you have any parting words for my audience about, you know, games in general or really anything? This is your moment. Oh, <laughs> stay out of the sun. Stay out of the sun. Hey, you know that's that's probably good. Um, nope. Don't nope, just just let. us go back to the theme of don't be mean. Don't be mean. All right, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's put that on a t shirt, shall we, man? Um, Sounds like a win. You know, I listened to a video yesterday, and there was a a line that's kind of stuck out at the end of it that was just stop letting the bad guys win. Um, and it was talking about trolls on the internet and stuff like that. And I, I think it really kind of resonated with me. You know, it's just like, it's just not, let's be nice. Let's everybody be good to each other. I think that's a, a nice thing to do. And meanwhile, let's play some games because you know, then if you're being mean to somebody playing a game, it, it's, it's all, it's all in good fun.
1: Got it. so out of your system and over the game table yeah
0: absolutely let's uh let's settle it on the board so steve thank you very much for coming on engage a family gaming podcast i really do again appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule this has been an honor for me
1: thank Um, you for having
0: me absolutely anytime you want to talk about anything we'll get you on here make it we'll make it happen so until next time folks this is steve and steve um (laughs) uh we've been talking about board games next week. We'll be talking about video games and this is where my wife and I will have the great debate about Fortnite. So you're y'all are going to want to be there for that. <clears throat> so until next time you have yourself a great week. We'll see you next time. And uh, don't forget to get your family game on. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye.
1: Thank you for
0: listening. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week. Sorry, John. I'm gonna clean that up a little bit. I torment my producer, Steve. <laughs> He'll uh he's gonna he, we're trying to get this podcast up for tomorrow morning. So he's gonna he's gonna hate me when he gets home from work tonight. But he works for Lego, so he's usually in a good mood. No kidding. Yeah, he's in their uh customer service. So I'm he gets to. Yeah. Oh man, did you it's see that?
1: Even to him before. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Uh, maybe. Did you see the new Harry Potter castle they showed off in the last couple of days?
1: Yes. Isn't that something?
0: Man, listen. I mean, talk about things that have changed a lot. Like you know, I remember you know when like a castle and a sword were weird because you know they had weapons, and because you, you know they never they didn't want to have weapons for the longest time, and now it's. Forget weapons and stuff. They got the whole Harry Potter castle. Jeez.
1: I, I remember when Lego came in five colors, and then when green came out, wow, look at that, another color.
0: Yeah, right? They, um... And did, did Have you seen... I don't know if you've watched the... Net, and this is total non sequitur, but whatever. Did you see the... Uh, have you seen the Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us?
1: Uh, no.
0: They actually did an episode on Legos. Okay. And they... It's really neat. Some of the stuff they talk about. Um, and it's they, they do other stuff, too. They do, like, the Star Wars toys and Transformers and uh, Barbie. You know, like, the big brands. And it talks about their history and their future and, like, interesting parts. And they interview people who were collectors or who worked at the companies. And the Lego one is super interesting. It goes all the way from the beginning when they were making wooden toys all the way to, like, now. Super fascinating. It's on your Netflix. So when you're, you know, not promoting a major Kickstarter, it'll be a it'll be a nice palate cleanser one night. So anyway, but yeah, so he's usually in a good mood when he gets home because he gets to talk about Legos all day. So,
1: be a win.
0: so maybe he won't beat me up too bad, but we'll we'll figure it out. Um so